Good morning. It's good to see everybody and welcome this morning. As you're making your way in, I hope that you got a bulletin. There are several announcements that are in there. Uh, but let me begin this morning by just welcoming you. And yes, today is the day that we're going to be fellowshipping afterward. And so we'll share a few of those things as well. As you're coming in, I hope you got the information there. There is an announcement I do want to share with you uh, that's not in the bulletin, and that has to do with our fellowship meal today. I was told by somebody that right after service, we want everybody who is staying to go downstairs and congregate, but do not touch the food until we pray. So I'm not sure if that's because something went wrong with some of the food or if they're just waiting. So no, we do want you to go down there, but we don't want some people to just run down there, eat, be done, and out and leaving, and half of us not be there. So please, as you congregate, we won't wait for everybody, but we want to have a majority of people down there so we can pray and go over things, and uh, we'll have that put together. But it is a time to fellowship with the FIPS today, and so we invite you to stay. Uh, whether you came prepared with food or not, it's a time just to fellowship together. I'll let you read through several of the announcements. I, I will say that as we prepare to come to summer, we're always needing teachers. Uh, summertime and springtime is a time that many people travel and begin to spend time together, which is wonderful. But we need help in the Sunday school department, especially with children. So if you're willing to help us teach, uh, please let us know, whether it's the uh, middle school or the older elementary or a sub if you're interested in helping us, please let us know uh, so that we'll have those opportunities when someone needs to travel. Uh, we have a way to keep the Sunday school class going for those kids and the families who are still here. So please let us know uh, how you can help uh, do that as well. Uh, next week, I would like to have a, a parent meeting for all of you who have youth or older children. Uh, obviously, a time of transition in life. We never know exactly what's happening. We're trying to be honest with you all. Uh, we've got a whole summer to work things through, but someone had asked me already, uh, you know, what's the church going to do next? And my answer to you right now is the elders haven't met yet to decide all that. Uh, we're still working through. Uh, we want to finish our time together and how long that will be and, and work through it. But parents, if you have youth or those of you with older children, I would like to meet with you next Sunday night before youth just so that I can speak with you, share with you, talk with you and let you know that yours will be the children and, and youth involved regardless of what we do in the future. Uh, but we do want to make sure as the session meets that we're able to cover many things. And so for those of you who are praying for us, continue to pray because our, our biggest issue is to just determine what it is the Lord wants for us as well and uh, to go forward. So that affects all of us. So please be in prayer. But next Sunday, if you would, parents, if you can't be there, that's okay. I'll fill you in, but I'd love to have an opportunity uh, to just share. Uh, other than that, you will see, we'll share to, in a, just a moment some prayer requests. We appreciate those of you who are sharing with us the prayer requests, and uh, we, we do take those serious if you fill one out on a blue card. But if you want it in the bulletin, we ask that you please tell us, make that clear. If you don't tell us to put it in the bulletin, We'll pray for it, and we'll let our prayer team have it, but we won't post it in the bulletin uh, to have that as well. So, uh, lots going on, but today's an exciting day, so we'll go forward, and I'll invite you to stand with me, and let me call us to worship from Psalm 113. The psalmist writes and says, Praise the Lord. Praise, O servants of the Lord. Praise the name of the Lord. Blessed be the name of the Lord from this time forth and forevermore. From the rising of the sun to its setting, the name of the Lord is to be praised. 
If you would, just bow your head with me and let me lead us to the throne of grace. And if you would, join me in the Lord's Prayer in just a moment. Heavenly Father, we do lift up this morning uh, those in our family, uh, part of our church that has been hurting. Uh, Lord, we want to remember those who are still going through treatments and are going through rehab. Lord, we pray for our members, uh, Lord, those who are even aging, and Lord, we pray for the care that is needed for them and for their spouses who need the strength to be able to care for them and to continue ministering to them. Lord, we want to pray for those who are going to be traveling and up and coming, spending time away. Uh, Lord, we pray for those returning uh, that were gone for the winter, that their travel back would be safe. Lord, we lift up so many here in our church this morning. We Pray for our missionaries. We ask, Lord, that you would provide safety for them. Uh, Again, we're reminded, Lord, of all that's happening in Ukraine and that you would, uh, Lord, protect people on both sides, protect the hearts and minds of all those who are affected, whose lives are being changed and and rearranged. And, Lord, somehow let your sovereignty uh, and your wisdom through this shine forth. Use our missionaries that are over there and our servants to help minister And let them see a light shine, Lord, that's never been seen before. Lord, let that light shine here. Lord, as we reach our community, let us not lose sight of the fact that we are called to make disciples. That we're called to reach our community, to be a light to our area, and to transform the lives of those that we're in touch with. Lord, let us not just get busy doing the things we want. Let us truly look for ways that we can be a blessing. That we can be an answer to that Abrahamic promise of being a blessing to the world through your son, Jesus Christ. Lord, it's in his name that we're able to come together as children of God and pray as you taught us, saying, Our Father, which art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. Before we do our confession of faith, for these questions and answers, we use the catechism, but we use a modern, often we use a modern updated version that is hopefully a little bit easier for us to recite together. So... If you grew up maybe reading the catechisms and the, the wording is a little bit different, that's the reason why. So that's a little bit easier to do. So let me read the question and then let's all respond together. We've got three questions this morning. Question 88, what is going to happen immediately after the resurrection? Immediately after the resurrection, all created beings, angels, and humans will be finally judged. No one knows the exact time this is going to happen so that everyone can anticipate, pray for, and always be ready for the coming of the Lord. What will happen to the wicked on Judgment Day? On Judgment Day, the wicked will be put on the left of Christ and with the evidence against them clearly presented and fully recognized by them, they will be justly and terribly condemned, after which they will be expelled from the favorable presence of God and the glorious fellowship with Christ, his people, and his angels, and thrown into hell to be punished forever with unspeakable torments, both of body and soul, along with the devil and his angels. 
Question 90, what will happen to the righteous on Judgment Day? On Judgment Day, the righteous will be caught up with Christ in the cloud and placed on his right where they will be publicly acknowledged and acquitted. They will join Christ in the judgment of reprobate angels and men and be received into heaven. There they will be completely and forever free from all sin and misery, filled with unimaginable joy and made perfectly holy and happy in body and soul in the vast company of each other and the holy angels. They will be particularly blessed in the visual presence and enjoyment of God the Father, the Lord Jesus Christ, and the Holy Spirit forever. Such is the perfect and complete fellowship the members of the invisible church will enjoy with Christ in glory at the resurrection and judgment day. Let's pray this prayer of confession for you in the bulletin. Let's pray together. Father, forgive us for not following you in self-denial as your son Jesus our Lord did. We confess, Father, we do not always serve you in true righteousness and holiness. Forgive us for not living to your glory. We pray in the name of Jesus our Lord, who reigns with you. Amen. And we have this precious promise that we often remind ourselves of, but I have the privilege of saying it again from 1 John 1, 9. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. We can't out God's grace, but the heart of a Christian is to be close to Jesus as we look forward to that day when we are in his presence, when we see Jesus face to face, and we will be what we have always been destined to be. So keep that in sight as you live for Jesus, but rejoice in the forgiveness that you have in Christ by faith now. I'm going to ask those who are going to be coming forward to receive this morning's offering. Father, thank you for these many gifts. Even as we look outside, we see your grace and your mercies again. Uh, you are bringing new life physically and through your word and through your spirit, Lord, you are bringing new life to us inside. We pray that that would show more and more on the outside and that your kingdom would grow. Lord, as we give, may we give with joyful hearts, thankful, believing that you will take care of every need and that your gospel will continue to go forth in this world. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.
Heavenly Father, we pray here this morning that you'll bring peace to our hearts as we learn the truth about our union with you, that it's all put together from the moment in the beginning of all creation to the time in which you come back to the consummation, Lord. It's all summarized by our life with you. Help us to understand that this morning in Jesus' name, amen. You may be seated, and I pray that you'll take your Bibles and turn with me this morning. It's always good to have you follow along and to know that you have an opportunity that many in the early church never had, and that was the opportunity to read the Bible and to go forward and to look at it for yourself and to study it. And so we encourage you to do so, not just here, but throughout the week. And whether it's our men's group or our women's Bible study, I know they're starting a brand new study. Uh, Renee has submitted the books out there. She's wrote me and shared with me they're going to be doing another book by Nancy Guthrie. Her husband used to, may still already, uh, has written all kinds of stuff. it been a part of our seminaries. And they're going to be doing some studies through Revelation and so if you're interested in that, please uh, contact any of the women involved, and we'll help get you set up. If you're in the men's group, we're a few weeks left in doing Samuel, and so we're still studying together in Samuel. And uh, here in a couple weeks, I'm going to finish up next week in this series we've been doing on the doctrines of salvation. I'm going to take you next week on a journey of what it means to be glorified, the whole consummation of why it is we're saved, and then I want you to pray for me, and I want you to start reading. I'm going to preach through the book of Mark, and so I've been praying about the Gospels. Many of you have been through John and others, but Mark is our, our little short gospel with all kinds of things about evangelism and quick activity, and so uh, I will encourage you to begin praying through and reading and studying through Mark so that we can journey our way together through Mark. But this morning... We're in the doctrines of salvation still, coming to the point that is known as our union with Christ, joined with Jesus. We're in John 15. We have all kinds of passages throughout. Normally, we preach through the texts in a book, but as we've been doing the doctrines, I've been taking you on a journey. And there are multiple passages, but this morning, John 15, to me, is a great summary of what it really means to be in union with Jesus Christ and what comes about from that. The things I would like to take you on this morning is this union is experiential. Uh, it's also expositional. We'll see it in Scripture. And then when we get to the very end, we'll look together at its evaluation and what it means for us. And this morning, my prayer for you is that your relationship with Christ can be depicted by what the Bible says is in union with Him. Too many today are still living with an understanding of a relationship with Christ outside of themselves. This whole aspect of the Trinity, this understanding of the Holy Spirit, that God is three in one, and that though He is one in those three, He manifests Himself to us individually in each way. And as the Father, He created all things and predestined us before the foundations of the world, and in His Son, Jesus Christ, He paid the price on the cross, brought it together of what it meant and salvation could be accomplished. And with the Holy Spirit, He resides in us, convicts us, and leads us every step of the way until salvation is complete. If that is you, you must understand that you are in union with Christ. You are in Christ. This morning, I challenge that by saying you are joined with 
with Jesus. And so I want to take you on that journey because too many today still see Christ as the Savior, excuse me, outside themselves. We are Christians, and yet Jesus is out there. We're Christians, and yet the Holy Spirit is out there. It's almost like a force. It's an impersonal being that the force is out there. Star Wars would be our best implications to do that. And you all know the series and how it goes and how well it works and how the force is always with you to help and sustain you. And folks, I hate to say it, but that's a true depiction of most of the Christians in the world. That you've been saved by Jesus out here, what he did on the cross, and then there's this force that is around us that helps us when we need things. And that is far from what true Christianity is. The Holy Spirit, he is not an it. He is not a force. He is God himself in spirit. He is the Trinity. He is God in us. We are his temple. We're his Holy Spirit, or we're his body, uh, the temple where his Holy Spirit lives. So this morning, I challenge you on this understanding of what it means to be in union with Christ. Some would take what is known as the order salutis, for those of you who've gone through training in the steps of salvation and how it works, and they would place it as one aspect amongst those things to say at some point, After we have been regenerated or called or even placed our faith in Jesus, we are now in union with Christ. And we don't see it that way. Reformed tradition and evangelical understanding of that would say, no, the union with Christ is an entirety of what takes place in the order salutis. For your union with Christ, we could actually say started way before you ever accepted him. Because you could say your union with Christ actually started before the foundations of the world when God in Christ predestined you. Your relationship with the Father wasn't just a last-minute ditch effort to get you out of trouble. Your relationship began clear back in the beginning, and it never ends. That relationship that you will have with the Father through Christ is one that lasts eternally. We could go back and even say that we were united together in Adam, if you remember that, under what was known as the covenant of works, as it's been described. And yet we're all united together as children in Christ, as our federal head in what is known as the covenant of grace. You see, we're all part of this relationship as children of God, and to understand it, we must be in a vital union with Him, connected to Him. There are no such things as Christians outside Christ. There are no such things as Christians without the Holy Spirit. These are terms that have come along throughout generations of people who have slowly wavered on the truths of Scripture, slowly played down the importance of what God has said in His Word, and we now have all kinds of pictures of what it means to be a Christian. And this morning, I challenge you with the same definition I've given you before, And what my assistant years ago in North Carolina, Jason, would ask himself, followed by Keith, who was our youth minister at the time, is he learned before he went on to do his PhD and become a missionary to China, he learned rather than asking people if they were Christians, asking people if they were saved or believers, he would ask them if they were followers of Christ. And oh, what a difference that makes. Let me ask you this morning, are you a Christian? And by what definition do you use? Or let me ask you more specifically, are you a follower of Christ? Wow. 
So here's what John says to be a follower of Christ, John 15. He writes us, and before we begin to look at this experiential relationship, let's understand just what John writes in his understanding. John 15, bear with me as I read. New American Standard, the new edition says this, I am the true vine, and my Father is the vine dresser. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away, and every branch that bears fruit, he prunes it so that it may bear more fruit. You are already clean because of the word which I have spoken to you. Remain in me and I in you, just as the branch cannot bear fruit of itself, but must remain in the vine, so neither can you unless you remain in me. I am the vine and you are the branches, and the one who remains in me and I in him bears much fruit, for apart from me you can do nothing. If anyone does not remain in me, he is thrown away like a branch that dries up. And they gather them, and they throw them into the fire, and they are burned. If you remain in me, and my words remain in you, then you can ask whatever you wish, and it will be done for you. My Father is glorified by this, that you bear much fruit, and so prove to be my disciples. Just as the Father has loved me, I also have loved you. Remain in my love. If you keep my commandments... You will remain in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commandments and remain in His love. These things I have spoken to you, so that my joy may be in you, and your joy may be made full. You know, if there was one word I asked you that was repeated more than anything in that section, what would it be? Do you, it would be what? remain. Now, I don't know about you. I'll give you a little bit on that later, but folks, isn't it amazing how many times that John wrote and wanted us to be clear of the fact that to remain in him is the whole entirety understanding of what it means to be a Christian. You cannot exist outside of your connection and union with Christ, and that entails a bunch of things. And so, our union with Christ begins in every aspect of bringing every part of salvation together, past, present, and future. When you talk about your life as a Christian, what part are you talking about? If someone were to ask you today, well, are you a Christian? And you said, yes, what, what part are you referring to? The past week, a month, since the time you were little, or would you preface it a little bit and say things like this? Well, yeah, I'm a Christian, but... But what? Well, I mean, but I haven't always served him. I haven't always been close to him. I haven't always been faithful in bearing fruit for him. See, we have all these things that go along with it because we want to make sure that we depict a, a, a right picture of what we mean when we say, yes, we are a Christian. It's not enough to just say, I'm in union with Christ. Wouldn't it be nice if we could just tell people, I'm in union with Christ, and they would know that that has meant that we have remained in Him, that we are vitally connected to Him, that everything we do is for Him. Everything we talk about is about Him. The things that we do, we do for Him. You know, Paul said it this way when he said, for to me, to live is Christ, and to die is what? Gain. 
It's all about Christ. So let me begin as we begin to give you some information here in John 15. He lays it out. We must remain in him. The inception of salvation, write this down, begins with the election of the believer. That's Ephesians chapter 1. I won't go back and make you read it. I'm summarizing our steps from before. The inception of our union with Christ did not begin the day you said, okay, I believe. Because that means you started salvation. And do you believe that? Do you really believe that you're the one that's powerful enough to make the changes necessary to begin the life with Christ when you're ready for it? Or do you believe it started when he said it would start? And if you believe that, then you believe scriptures who said it started even before the foundations of the world when he chose you in him to be a part of his relationship. It's a continuation. It's not just an inception, but a continuation of salvation. Everything from the moment he called you, we could go back to the Romans' wonderful golden chain from the time that he foreknew you to the time that he predestined you, and then he called you to the time in which you would respond and you were justified, sanctified, and one day glorified. All those in between glorification and the very beginning of your effectual calling, if you wish, or your being predestined and foreknown is known as the continuation of your union with Christ. If I were to ask you to raise your hand today, how many of you are in the continuation part of your relationship? I would hope all of you would do what? Raise your hand. Because you can't go back and determine when in the foundations of the world he started this. And you're not going to know when the day is going to be when he comes to bring it all to glorification. But what you do know is in the in-between time, this is the time for you to continue growing and serving and abiding in Christ. Whatever you need to do today to make the changes necessary to be remaining and bearing fruit for Christ, make them today so that it becomes obvious that you are in union with Christ. And finally, it's not just the inception or continuation, but this consummation of our bodily resurrection Folks, it is not just about living in this world and making it to the end. The Christian life is about moving beyond this world into the realm with Jesus Christ to reign together with him at the right hand of the Father. It is the time in which our bodies, in which we were created with, in which we were formed and made from dust, if we believe the scriptures, in which he breathed nephesh or life within to us and now sustains that by seeking us and reconciling us and overcoming sin. And one day, because of his resurrection, we too will be what? resurrected a bodily resurrection this is not our final state the consummation is when we are with him forever as intended in creation god's not creating something new he's bringing it back reconciling and restoring that which he created so that as it appears to us all new it's still the perfect plan he had from the beginning God has a perfect plan for you. He chose it before the foundations of the world. In every event that you're facing, in every circumstance that you're going through, is not catching God off guard. It's not catching him when he's not ready, surprised. No, it was planned from the beginning so that you would be right where he wants you to be in the moment in which he brings conviction so that he knows you're ready to follow. You know why? Because you're in union with him. And though you may not realize it, he has promised to never let you go. 
You may not like it, you may not want it, you may not understand it, but he will never let you go. So here we go. I am the vine, you are the branches. From the plan of eternity, you can keep this in your mind and hold it, from salvation planned in eternity until it's realized eternally. It's from beginning to end. Our union with Christ begins in this experiential understanding. Let me give it to you. One, it's supernatural. It's initiated by God, 1 John chapter 3. Not the gospel of John, but 1 John in the back when he writes to us. He says this in John chapter 3. This is his commandment that we believe in the name of his son, Jesus Christ, and love one another just as he commanded us. The one who keeps his commandments remains in him and he in him. We know by this that he remains in us by the spirit whom he has given us. What brings to reality your union in Jesus Christ is when the Holy Spirit comes to you and convicts you of all that Christ has done for you because God has planned it for you. And in reality now, this supernatural experience changes you. Your union with Christ is supernatural. It was begun by God. Don't get frustrated when you're praying for somebody and they just don't respond. Don't give up praying for your children who just seem to not be acting the way you thought they should. Realize that the experiential union with Christ is supernatural. It's God's choice on how he wants to use us, not yours. Please realize that within the body of Christ, though we're all members, one body, yet we are individual members of that one body. And we are all different, individually formed and fashioned by Jesus Christ. Your relationship with Christ should be based on what he wants you to be, not what others want you to be. You must be in union with Christ to know that. That supernatural side is what God is calling you to do, not what others are. So you have to determine if it's a supernatural relationship, then what do we do about also being a vital relationship? Listen to what he says about bearing fruit. You must remain in the vine to bear fruit. Folks, the whole point of Christianity is to bear fruit. If none of us bear fruit, let me ask you this simply put. For those of you who have children, anybody here have children? Just say amen. You got more children than you want? I better not hear any amens. But I will tell you this, if the children that you do have don't begin to bear fruit and you don't begin to bear fruit, then when you're gone and there's no more fruit, what's eventually going to happen to the Christian life? The importance is not to reach the rest of the world, it's to reach your very own. The command to Adam and Eve was to be fruitful in what? Multiply. Do you mean that just means to go fill the earth with whatever's out there? just send your kids away from home your job was to have kids and just fill the universities out there to have kids and fill all the sports clubs to have children and fill all the restaurants so there's places to go eat where were your children designed to be fruit of union with christ now we know that's up to him but man folks just think about it the reason i had eight children or my wife did i should say she makes me understand that clearly. The, the pain of the children caused her much more than it did me. But the reason we had eight is I had a 50% chance of having more left behind than what I started with. 
The goal would be that if me and my wife eventually die, save the Lord coming back, that if half my children are just touched by the Lord, I will have helped further the kingdom myself. But to think that I would have eight children and not care that any of them are bearing fruit changes the entire understanding of what you think your purpose is here on earth. Oh, I can't guarantee they all will, but it's a vital relationship. It's a vital relationship with Christ. You must be in Christ. Don't expect your children to follow Christ, to understand Christ, to learn things about Christ. If you're not learning about Christ, if you're not leading them in Christ, it's amazing how we expect people to just catch on Christ just by coming through the doors of the church. Folks, just because they walk down the aisles of the church and sit in the pews doesn't mean they're in union with Christ. We eventually have to be able to ask our children, do you really believe? Do you really understand what Christ is asking of us? Do you really want that relationship? Would you not like to have that? Has the Lord not worked in your heart? What is God asking you to do? Just as parents, we need that vital relationship. It's mysterious. It's not only supernatural and vital, but it's inexplicable, if I can use that word. What I mean by that is if you were to read the book of Ephesians, and if you were to go into John and begin to realize this relationship, it's comparative in Ephesians to the husband and the wife. When the two become one. Explain that one to your children. Explain that to the people who try to understand what does it mean when the Bible says that our relationship with Christ is like husband and wife when the two become one and become inseparable and somehow unite. Explain that one. Or maybe it's the relationship with Christ and the church. And Ephesians tells us that we have this relationship with Christ, and it's no different than Christ, the head of the church, and the church is the body of Christ. And when we're baptized into Christ, folks, these are inexplicable. It's because they're supernatural. There's something that happens. I can't tell you why I'm one with my wife. I think she just wants to be with me everywhere I go. And so we're together. Is that it? No, we're one together because whatever I want her to do, she'll do for me. That's the oneness that we have. It's one goal, one purpose, and it's my purpose, my goal, and if she'll do it, then we're one. Is that it? How do I tell someone we're one? I'll be honest with you, I've been married now almost 30 years, I believe, and I don't think we still think the same. We understand each other more. We work together in ways. We do have commonalities but we're not the same thank god thank god she's not like me but we're one inexplicably we're one is that your relationship with christ i can't really explain it to you but i'm telling you what i don't know what i would do without him i don't know where i would be if he left I don't know what my life would be like if I couldn't talk to him. I don't know what I would be accomplishing if he didn't have, you know, statements for me and directions for me. It's hard for me to imagine what my life would be like without Christ. It's inexplicable, but it's also eternal. Look into our union. We are with Christ. John 10, not just in 15, John 10 makes it clear that he will never leave us nor what? Forsake us. 
that we are in the hands of the Father, that we're in His grip, that there is nothing we can do to change His love for us. Just this morning, I was humbly sharing in the church as God's plan, not mine. I didn't plan on sharing it, but I thought it fit really well how we understand God's plan and His love for us as we talk about our children. Sometimes as dads, you get a little selfish because your children grow up, they leave, and they only call when they want something, or you only only hear from them when they call, and you know, why, why don't you call me more often? And I was convicted one day, my own prayer life, I was sharing with another that the Lord convicted me because I was having a pity party during my devotions. That's when I usually have the best pity parties. I just don't understand why they're on their own now. They don't ever call. They don't really care. Da, 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 da. They only call me when they want something. And the Lord convicted me and said, that sounds almost exactly the way you treat me. And yet I still love you. I've never forsaken you. And let me remind you, I'm the one that's always reached out to you. So I try every week to call my children because I was given a big lesson. Why would I want to be any different than what my Father in heaven is to me? And when they do call home just when they need help, I'm so thankful when I did that to the Father, he didn't say, nah, you only call me when you what? Want something. I begin to learn one thing. What a wonderful father I wished I would have had. I cannot remember. You could ask my children, my wife, and anybody in the entire time we've been together. I cannot remember one time my father called us. That's not true of the Heavenly Father. I promise you, the Bible even says he's standing at the door and what? Knocking. What kind of father are you going to be? Allow the world to dictate it? Or does your union with Christ say, I've got to be the father my father is to the children that I used to be to my father? Never stop reaching, never stop teaching, and never letting go. Oh, it's an experiential union with Christ. It's eternal. It was planned by the Father. If you wish to say it was actualized there, factualized in Christ was a term once said. And then finally, if you realize that it's there when the Holy Spirit comes, and that's our union with Christ. It's there from the beginning. But I have to say this before I move on. The experiential side of Christ simply says this. You cannot have the blessings of Christianity without having the Christ of Christianity. There must be a union. It must be supernatural. It's vital. You may not be able to explain it, and it is eternal, but it must be there. If you're not in union with Christ, you're not saved. You're not going to bear fruit. You're not going to spend eternity with the Father. But it's not only that, but it's expositional. Let me put it this way. Let's look at the words. I've given them to you all the time. 
this exposition in Scripture, to be in Christ, the word in Christo, you'll get him throughout the Scriptures. It's, th- it's in Kyrios, in the Lord. It's in Christ. It's in Him, a two. It's the words that are constantly joining us together. John 14 simply says it this way, as we are all in Christ, and Christ is in the Father, and the Father in us. Do you understand what he's saying in his prayer? That there is no way to separate the distinction between us. When you see the Father, you see me. When you see me, you have the Holy Spirit. When you have the Holy Spirit, you're in us. There's no way for the world to tear us apart. Makes more sense when Paul wrote us and said, I have been crucified with Christ. Because what they did to him, they did to who? To me. Jesus even turned the tables one time and very simply told his disciples that what you do to them my children, you've done unto who? To me. This inexplicable union that we have with Christ is now taught in Scripture by the word minaitai, if you wish, of the word meno, or to remain in me. It's the word that is there to abide, to never let go, to never be released. Sometimes the word agairo is used to raise up. When the one is bearing fruit, he raises them up. We remain in him. He prunes them. That's a word that is also used. It's the words that we get to understand the Father is not letting go of us. He walks through the garden. As you know, grapes grow where? Help me. On the ground. I've never seen a grape shoot out in the middle of a field, grow its own vine stand, and then begin to grow up and connect itself to the middle of nothing so that it can have a nice grapefruits and grapes and wine presses and all these things for people out of the middle of nowhere. But if you don't want the grapes to stay on the ground, you've got to what? Raise them up. It's the word that the Bible gives us for those of us who remain in Christ. He comes along and he sees those of us who are bearing fruit. If not, he prunes it. And for the rest, he does what? He raises it up. And then what happens? It bears more fruit. When you ask Jesus to come and help you, he's probably going to prune the things that need to be pruned, and then he's going to raise you up so that you will bear more what? Fruit. It's all about the fruit. It's all about him. You see, we realize even in the exposition, oikodame, let me give you this word. When he says you abide in me and you remain in me and I in you, it's because there's this union of existence between us. Now catch this clearly, folks. The word oikodame is the word, or naos, if you wish for temple. Oikodame is the word for house. It's the words that are used in Scripture in Ephesians that explain that Jesus Christ was the cornerstone and that the cornerstone was built for the corner of a house, which would be built by apostles and prophets, old and new, and upon those apostles and prophets would be Jews and Gentiles. And the next thing you realize is the spiritual house that's being built encompasses everybody from the beginning of time, that in Christ we are all one, Old Testament, New Testament. Jew, Gentile, slave, free, male, female, we're built together. Why? Because we have become what is known as this naos, this temple, which is where Corinthians reminds us that we are his temple, a holy temple for him to dwell in. And how can you use your temple for purposes that are not glorifying to God? Oh, I don't know about you, but there's limits I have on my house, my oikodamus here. 
I've had to make decisions, even with my children and others, that there's things I don't allow in my house. Especially if you're not one of my friends. I've set down rules. You're not going to function a certain way in my house. But yet I will allow people to do whatever they want with the house of God. How is it we can use our bodies for sin? How can we allow our bodies to be used for sin? How can we allow things to enter into this temple that are sinful? When yet we would protect our own earthly house from certain things. Why do we not protect the spiritual house? Are you protecting the spiritual house? The place God lives? All of a sudden, we realize that even in Scripture alone, it makes it clear that not only are we in a vital relationship, but we're the place God lives. God does not live in the walls of this building. God does not exist in the trees that are out there. We're not naturalists. God exists right here. God lives in you. He, the Holy Spirit, indwells you has changed you, and you have become a holy temple to be used for His glory. Oh, we realize finally, then what's the evaluation? How do I know? Well, if you remain in me, you'll bear much fruit. Write these down quickly, and I'll let you go. One, if you understand this union, you'll understand sisterao, crucifixion. We have been crucified with Christ. All these sinful passions, it says in Galatians, are rendered powerless. Colossians has some wonderful statements about the importance of what happens to those of us who have been crucified with Christ. Colossians is a wonderful book that teaches us all about how we've died to Christ and still move forward. Listen to what it says in Colossians chapter 3, verse 3. Or let me just read one. It says, Therefore, if you have been raised with Christ, keep seeking the things that are above, whether Christ, where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. Yet your mind's on the things that are, are above, not on the things that are on earth. And he says this, For you have died, and your life is hidden with Christ in God. And when Christ, who is our life, is revealed, then you also will be revealed with him in glory. To be crucified with Christ is because you are in union with him. Whatever happened to him has to happen to you. For him to be crucified and the sins to be crushed, you should be living as those sins are crushed. You should be experiencing the weight of the world as he had, the mockings that he took, the scourgings, the ridicule. Or are you hiding out in society as Christian undercover? so that you don't have to experience the same things he did. Not only are you crucified with Christ, you're buried with him. That's what it tells us, Colossians 2.12. We've been buried with him in baptism, raised together to walk in the newness of life. You're not just crucified with Christ, you've been buried with Christ. Soon, thontos. It's the word together with in Christ, to being buried. We're also made alive together with him. Colossians says not only were we buried with him, we've been made alive together with him. We now live in a situation in which there's no more spiritual death. Our life is now living together in this glorious life of walking with Him. You could go back with me to Romans chapter 6. For those of you who haven't memorized it yet, I know many children do nowadays, and many of their 
teachings and instructions, but listen to this, to be made alive in Christ. Therefore, we have been buried with him through baptism into death, so that just as Christ was raised from the dead through the glory of the Father, we too may walk in the newness of life. If we have become united with him in the likeness of his death, certainly we shall be in the likeness of his resurrection, that our old self was crucified with him so that we would no longer be slaves to sin. Now, if we have died with Christ, we believe that we shall also live with him. You too consider yourselves dead to sin and alive to God. And we've also been raised together with him. Finally, we are told that we will be glorified with him. Our bodies literally resurrected as we shared earlier this morning to the right hand of the Father where we will be rewarded in a place to serve together forever. Is that who you are? Do you have union with Christ. Is this a picture of who you are? Chosen by him, crucified in his son, raised together with him, filled and indwelled by the Holy Spirit, bearing fruit and continually more until he comes again. If that's not the picture of who you are, then the goal or the outcome of salvation is not yours. This morning, you need to realize as we prepare for the Lord's Supper that what we're sharing together in fellowship is that one day we will do this together in person. One day, it will be at the banquet table of the Lord. And it will no longer be in remembrance of what he has done, it will be face to face with the one who's done it for us. If that's not you, then don't take the Lord's Supper because you'll be eating and drinking judgment on yourself. The Lord's Supper is designed for those who've made a profession of faith. The Holy Spirit indwells them and they are in union with Christ. And by taking the Lord's Supper, we profess him until he comes again. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you for all that you have done for us so that we could be in Christ, that this union could be one that bears fruit, that this union could be one that others see as fruit-bearing, that the call to make disciples is a lifelong call in union with you. Help us to realize, Lord, that apart from you, we can do nothing. Outside of you, we are branches to be burned, sticks to be gathered, and reprobate to be judged. But in Christ, it's eternity with you. Lord, cleanse us, forgive us, and prepare us. In Jesus' name, amen. If you will take your bulletin, you will see the song that we'll be singing as we prepare for the Lord's Supper. I will ask if Ted and Bruce and the deacons will come as we prepare for the Lord's Supper. But if you would, while you're seated, you can just sing together in your bulletin 
this first stanza together. Let's sing that together while you're seated. As we begin to pass these out, I ask that you'll take a moment and hold them until we can all take and participate together. I'll have some things that I'll share together with you as they're passing. Go ahead. Please take one if you're going to be fellowshipping with us. If not, please let it pass. Let me read to you before we sing the second stanza together. For I have received from the Lord, which I also delivered to you, that the Lord Jesus on the night when he was betrayed took a bread it was there that when he had given thanks, he broke it and he said, this is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, he also took the cup after the supper saying, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. Therefore, whoever eats the bread or drinks the cup of the Lord in an unworthy way shall be guilty of the body and of the blood of the Lord. But a person must examine themselves, and in so doing, then eat of the bread and drink of the cup. As you examine yourself, let's do it through song as we sing together the second stanza of the body of our Savior. of our Savior Jesus Christ torn for you eat and remember the wounds that heal the death that brings us life paid the price to make us one so we share in this bread of life and we dream Just take a moment as they come and pray as we meditate and finish. Just, just pray.
It was around the table that he gathered together with them, and he said, this is my body broken for you. As often as you eat it, do this in remembrance of me. Let's eat. As they begin to pass out the drink together, please take one, and as you can, hold it, and please wait until we can sing together. I'll read some things first, and then we'll sing the third verse together about the blood of Christ. We have shared together so many times in Hebrews the importance of the sacrifice of Christ. Please just listen. Therefore, when he comes into the world, he says, you have not desired a sacrifice and offering, but you have prepared a body for me. You have not taken pleasure in the whole burnt offerings and the offerings for sin. And I said, behold, I have come. It is written of me in the scroll of the book to do your will, O God. And after saying these above things, sacrifices and offerings and whole burnt offerings and offerings for sin that you have not desired, nor have you taken pleasure in them, which are offered according to the law. Then he said, behold, I have come to do your will. He takes away the first in order to establish the second. By this will, we have been sanctified through the offering of the body of Jesus Christ once for all time. It's not the things that we bring to Jesus that matter. It's the living sacrifice we've become. That he is in us and we are now living for him in all that we do. His blood shed for us once for all time. Let's sing together the third stanza as we prepare to share the cup. The blood that cleanses every stain of sin shed for you. Drink and remember He drained death's cup that all may enter in to receive the life of God. So we share in this bread of life and we drink of His sacrifice as a sign of our bonds of grace around the Just continue to pray as they come. Just take a moment and pray. the same way that he took the bread, he took the cup, and he said, this is my blood, the new covenant poured out for you. As often as you drink it, do this in remembrance of me. Let's drink.
Now, if you would, stand with us as we sing together the last stanza of our song together. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your Son, Jesus Christ, that you planned from the beginning of all time that he would come to pay the price for us, to reconcile us, give us hope, and give us a way to bear fruit, to give us a way to be sanctified and to one day glorify to spend eternity with you. Please, Lord, help us find ourselves in him. It's in his name we pray. Amen. You'll receive the benediction. May the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ the love of God the Father, and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with you all. And God's children said, have a great Lord's Day.